So we are, uh, we're in a sermon series right now, and it's called Physical Contact, right? And uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to learn what it means to make physical contact once again. This series is about the physicality of human spirituality. So we live in a culture where there is a, a sort of subtle and sometimes really distinct separation between what we would call physical, material things and spiritual things to the point where they almost seem to be described as water and oil, like things that just don't really mix and don't really affect each other. And so what we're doing in this series is we're trying to explore the relationship uh, through the scriptures and through the traditions of Christianity Uh, that relationship that's inherent between the physical, the material, and the spiritual, the seen and the unseen. And this morning, a lot of that passage that I read might not have felt uh, that familiar to you, except for maybe the end. If you've spent any time growing up in an evangelical church, you're probably pretty familiar with verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Uh, and, and maybe if you didn't even grow up in church, you probably saw it on some t-shirts if you're old enough to have been going to school in the 90s, uh, maybe some bumper stickers and things like that. So this morning, we want to explore this idea of becoming something new. Because here's the thing, I'm, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself old, but I'm old enough to have been around the block a few times in terms of my walk of faith. And, and I've been through this, and I've watched other people go through this, where I had a conversion experience. I had a, a change of heart and a change of mind, and I felt brand new. I've had a different perspective on life. I didn't feel like I was just the summation of my bad choices and my shame. And I moved into my life with that perspective and in that way. But over time, I found some of my old behaviors and old ways of thinking showing back up in my life. And when I found that happening, I did not find myself with the resources within my particular part of the faith tradition to deal with that appropriately. Uh, The main resource I had was kind of a sense of, of shame and guilt that I was supposed to be a new creation, but found myself unable to respond to life out of that. I don't know if you can relate. And if you can relate, you could just say amen right now. You can hold up your hand, all right? Charismatic, let's go, people, come on. If you can relate to that, this message is for you. Also, if you can relate to having somebody tell you, hey, if you, if you accept this faith, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you want to become a Christian, that you are this totally new creation. If that sounds daunting to you, this is a message for you. If you found yourself in what we would call a deconstructed place, where you say, I've tried that, I did all that before, and it didn't work, the new creation thing, I've debunked it, you know, myth busters, all right? Then this message is for you. If you just find yourself buried in shame over the things you can't seem to change about your life, this message is for you. So, when we read that verse, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Here's the two questions that I want us to talk about for a few minutes this morning. How do we become something new? And how does the spiritual nature or properties of that connect with the physical? Okay? So, um, why, don't, why aren't we able to better ourselves so often? Why aren't we able to do it? Is, is it because we're lazy? Is, is that why? We just, we just don't have the, the discipline to, to do what we have in our minds and in our uh, realm of control to be able to, to do. Um, it, it makes me think of the, uh, the before and after pictures with, with workout, you know, workout, people who've been working out on a workout program. I, uh, I subscribe to this page on Facebook called PX90 Never Dies. And uh, I've never done PX90. Um, but I, w- I bought some weights, and so that, that showed up in my, uh, in my Facebook feed last fall. And so I, I subscribed to it. And so you, get, you see all these before and after pictures of people all the time, and it made me think of, like, when people are like, well, how did you do it? What did you do? And the answer is usually something like, well, I just got tired one day of being lazy and not doing what I was supposed to do, and I just started eating right, and I just started this plan, and I just pulled myself up by my Nike sock bootstraps, and I, you know, I started to get it done. And I'm like, that's, that's probably not what happened, uh, because then everybody would be like super fit all the time, because all you need is a little bit of willpower, and I don't know anybody that doesn't want to like be strong and healthy and, and that type of thing. So, so it can't be that. Um, and and it, and it got me to think about this idea of conversion, of having a, a fundamental change of mind about the world around you and how you fit into that world. Because even for, see, we, we, conversion is a religious word, but even for the person in, in the physical fitness realm, uh, there's a kind of conversion that occurs. And, and there's so many ways that this happens with human beings. And I think it's important to understand because the way that it affects us spiritually and intellectually, it manifests physically and vice versa. So, for example, um, who, who hasn't heard of, of QAnon lately, right? Anybody not heard of it? It's, it's kind of been a big thing on the news. Well, people become converted. They, they have a conversion experience in which they become followers of QAnon, where there are some ideas that they begin to believe and start saying yes to, and that begins to manifest itself in a negative way in our life and in our world. Um, in, in, in another way, the, the woke culture is similar as well. Now, I'd like to consider myself pretty woke, but there's also this sort of uh, element to it that, that I think manifests well in things like cancel culture, where there's like a conversion experience that takes place with people, where they start saying yes to a certain perspective of life. And what happens in these things Uh, And and there's all kinds of examples of this in subcultures of Christianity as well. What happens in these types of conversions is that your perspective gets narrowed and your your view of other people gets overly simplified. 
Okay? And, and what this conversion process promises you is that the things about life that were scary, that didn't make sense, will now make sense to you. And so that gives you the incentive to continue to change and to continue to embody uh, these, these kinds of principles that this idea uh, subscribes to. And so um, here's what I want you to take from that, what I just said, is that conversion isn't unique to Christianity. Okay? The idea of conversion and change isn't unique to Christianity. There's conversions to other religions, to ideologies, to political parties, in which a person's whole perspective gets routed through and reoriented to see the world and everybody in it in that way. But what I do think is exceptional and unique to Christian conversion is what are the motivations for it? And when followed through, what is this new creation that comes as a result of it? Is it a narrowing? Is it a further division between friend and enemy? Is it a dichotomy between the spiritual world and the physical world? Or is it something else? Well, we could talk about that from the scripture here. So when we look at verse 16 in 2 Corinthians 5 that we just read all together, it says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So Paul's describing here a dramatic change in perspective that he and some of his homies, like apparently he's saying we, maybe just because like he doesn't want to, you know, be like, oh, it's just me. I just saw him that way. Um, but he's, uh, he's saying he used to see Christ from a worldly, or it's literally in the Greek, it's flesh type of perspective. And that because that's changed for him about Christ, that's also changed how he sees other human beings. So it's this dramatic change in perspective that's similar to what happens in all of these other type of conversions, that we begin to see the world and see other people in a different way. Here's the deal. We're all seeing the same things as we move around in life, like if we're, if we're near each other. So, but the way that we evaluate those things that we see, interpret the things we see, depend on the perspective that we have held, that we hold on to to make sense of the world. So, for example, when you see a big furry dog coming up to you, you might think, oh, that's a cute furry dog. And somebody else might think, get that dog away from me, it bites, right? You're like, oh, my dog doesn't bite. And I say, he got teeth, don't he? The, the Hancocks told me, our, our dog won't just bark at you. And I mean, I won't bite you, he'll just bark. And then, and then she bit me. And I, they're like, well, she tried. She just got my pant leg. Uh, but uh, they were like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay. I know that dogs have sharp teeth because they like to bite and that they can bite. So you weren't going to convince me that the dog wouldn't bite, not because it's your dog, because it's a dog and it has 
biting teeth, okay? I'm not going to tell you that my kids don't bite because they got teeth. Or, or, or like, you know, there might be somebody that walks down the street and as you see them, they look like to you a mentor or a friend. But to me, seeing that same person walking down the street might remind me more of somebody who could put me in potential danger or vice versa. And those types of things only have to do with the perspective that each of us hold, the type of ideas and way of thinking about life that we have, in a sense, been converted to. So, uh, well, yeah, like a donut shop, too. Like some people see a donut. No, everybody sees donuts the same, right? Everybody loves donuts. Okay? No? See, that's, that's, that's part of my problem is... Uh, is I have not yet realized that, that that is about everything, okay? That, that you can have, hold a different perspective about everything based on your experiences, okay? Every single thing. So for Paul writing here, he's talking about a shift and a change in perspective that he used to see Christ one way in this sort of just material fleshly way and now he doesn't see Christ anymore that way and that has had such an impact on his perspective that now he also sees other people in a different way other than just how they appear to be in the physical in the flesh so let's back up a few more verses and see kind of how he gets to this point so looking in verse 14 here he says this for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, um, this makes a lot of sense, uh, but I also want to read this same passage from a different translation, uh, the message. Okay, so because it says it in a, in a way that I feel like is a little bit easier to grasp onto. So it says it this way. It's in verse 14. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. See, see, we, we can call a lot of things Christianity and Christian conversion. And in the tradition of the things that have been labeled that, that makes a lot of sense. But, but one of the founders of, of the faith who had his own experience with the Christ, he describes it in this way. That at the center of this is the love of a physically incarnate God, Jesus Christ. And that focused from this center, that this man died for everyone. And, and the way that the, the translator, Eugene Peterson, in the message puts it, he says, this puts everybody in the same boat. You see, most every perspective 
that you can convert to. It tries to reduce people to really simple categories. People to um, being a subscriber to your beliefs, a danger, an enemy to your beliefs, or somebody who is an ally, a friend to your beliefs. And certainly Christianity can and will and has been used in those types of ways. But what I see here, and the best of what I've experienced about this faith, about my own conversion, is is something more than like just like a ride or die kind of thing. You know that phrase, like, they're my ride or die. It could be, you could use that with, you know, your wife, your husband, girlfriend, boyfriend. But really, it's just like, it's somebody I'm going to go to bat for. It's somebody that I'm going to protect and defend at all costs. It's, it's what Peter would have said had he known what memes were and Instagram and things like that. When they came to arrest Jesus and Peter pulled out his sword. He's like, no, Jesus is my ride or die. I'm going to cut you, son. Right? And, and Jesus is like, Peter, I get why you think that way. That's the only way that you've ever been, that, that human beings have really conceived of the way it works. Like, you're in my group, you're not in my group. But, but what if that ride or die person says like, hey, look, for you to defend me, what I need you to do is, is imitate the same type of self-sacrificial love that, that I'm exhibiting right now, right? Like, I am, I am willing to die. You don't have to protect my physical body because this idea of love that I'm inviting you into is going to outlive my physical body. It's going to be something bigger and more powerful than any type of idea that needs to be defended with violence and rhetoric. See, I think that's, that's fundamentally on the base level what happens so many times is, is, is people get a hold of Christianity and they try to use it like this blunt force. But really, when you stare into the eyes of Jesus metaphorically, you find something a lot scarier than just joining uh, some type of religion or club or way to reduce the world into easy categories. It's something that when you can say yes to it, it can invite new experiences into your spiritual life which can translate out into the way that you operate in the world. And to be honest, what a lot of us in our subconscious, what I've probably said many times, is like, but, but can't I just like beat up some people for you, Jesus? Can't I just do it that way? Like, can't I just be right about a lot of things and ideas? Can't, that feels so good. It's so easy to do that, right? To just be right to just be stronger than or better than. It's a tall order. So, uh, a lot of us, uh, we've experienced this sort of belonging to Christianity and this new creation defined very different from that. It's like, hey, if you were a new creation, you wouldn't drink, wouldn't smoke, wouldn't cuss, you wouldn't... uh, you wouldn't fool around with boys or girls or whatever. 
you would not do all these things, right? And for surely there are some things that are not good to do, right? But this call, this type of life is asking you to experience something new, okay? To, to move into new experiences where the typical ways of manipulating people with shame and control and power just don't work very well. So here's the thing. Here's how we become something new. If you're like, I want to start new. I want to do something new in life. I want to be a newly dedicated follower of Jesus. Or I want to put my old past, my old way of thinking, my old sinful life behind me. Then here's what you do. I'm going to give you the secret. Okay? I'm going to give you the answer. Because I don't do any of the old things that I used to do before. I never uh, am mean to my wife or my kids anymore. I do it all right. So you should listen to me very closely right now. Here's my idea. You become something new by experiencing something new. You become something new by experiencing something new. Here's the thing. All of us have already experienced that in life. All of us have already experienced that in life. Two ways. The first way is experiences happen to you. That creates something new to you. Like things happen that you didn't decide, you didn't go looking for. And those things change you. They make you into a different person than you otherwise would have been. Okay? So the people that are like, hey, you know, I don't need this stuff. I don't need religion. I don't need this spirituality stuff. I'll do it on my own terms. You know, you still have all of these experiences happening to you, and these things are changing you. The second way is that you seek out new experiences. Okay? You, you look for them. And, and here's, what, here's what happened to Paul. The experience that happened to him was he had an encounter with Christ. And after that, he started to seek out new experiences. It says here that the love of Christ was compelling him, constraining him. And, and it, was, it was compelling him to hold a whole new view and perspective of people. Something that he defines as beyond material divisions between human beings. That the worth and the inherent beauty of a human being could not be relegated to a category of race or ethnicity or sexual orientation or age or any of those types of things. That people had a worth beyond that physical, those physical designations. So here, here's, here's the way that, that I got stuck when I was young. Er. Um, I, I, would, I would think about it this way, and it's, it's going to be up on the screen. Um, th- thinking like this, I'm a new creation, therefore I cannot and should not think these things or do these things. And if I do, there's something wrong with me. So I'd, like, I'd, I'd use it to beat myself up. I would, I would fashion it into the same type of weapon that could be used in any other scenario, in any other situation, that's completely ordinary 
in human behavior. Okay? I would just use self-shaming to say, you're supposed to be this, you're not this anymore, you should feel really bad about that. Anybody ever done that before? I'm the only one that's ever done that before. Ah, so we got a few people that are raising their hands who have done that and the other people who are also liars. All right. So here's a different way to think about this idea of a new creation. I'm noticing areas in my life that are touched by this idea of new creation, this connection with Christ. And I'm also noticing areas that still look old. These are areas I can look for new experiences to be, as the scripture says, in Christ. In Christ. Okay. One puts the emphasis on you having to use shame and control to try to manipulate yourself into being some spiritual ideal. The other acknowledges that what changes us are experiences, okay? And that we have an opportunity, we can let life happen to us and take experiences that way, or we can pursue and seek out experiences that look likely to transform us into a Christ-like image, okay? It reminds me of this passage in Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 12. Jesus describes this scenario with this poor person who has an impure spirit. You can put it up on the screen. We'll read it. Verse 43. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Hey, that's like anywhere out in Memphis right now, right? It's arid places. It's flowing. So if somebody's gotten rid of an evil spirit right now, it's waiting. So listen closely to this because it ain't going to stay outside right now. Verse 44, then it says, I will return to the house, air-conditioned house that I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Thankfully, it's not at my house right now. Verse 45, then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. So this is the condition of somebody using willpower to get rid of the bad in their life. Right? Just get rid of the bad. Don't do the bad thing. Get rid of the bad thing. Leaving yourself totally open and exposed with no new experiences to replace it. Okay? So there needs to be a new occupant, a new place of dwelling uh, within the person, within us. We need to seek out new experiences. We have these things called eight practices at Christ City. They're the glue that hold to us together beyond just sharing a different set of ideas about uh, theologically what we should believe. There are things that give uh, physicality to that. And one of them is embrace diversity. Okay? Embrace diversity. And this makes so much sense in what we're talking about this morning. Because if you've only ever experienced the same things over and over again, and you're not looking for new experiences, and experiences are what changed you, it's what changed Paul, then how can you grow? How can you find yourself becoming new? Man, um, 
I didn't, I didn't realize that Matt Brown's parents were going to be here today, but I wanted to talk about Matt Brown in this area because this guy, he seeks out new experiences, diverse experiences, and I've been amazed at what I've seen him do since I've met him. The, the other night, we were finishing up the parking lot party. He's like, all right, I got to go. I'm, I'm, I'm headed to yoga, all right? And uh, if you know Matt and kind of like, you know, his vibe, uh, he doesn't look like somebody who'd do yoga. And that was a really new experience for him. And uh, we were going to the store. He's work, you know, he was on staff with us, and he works. Uh, we go to, to Fresh Market, and he's like, I'm going to buy some mango, and I'm going to try it. And you can have some of the mango because I'm not going to eat it all. And that mango did go bad in the fridge. But, but, but my point is, I'm, I see this guy stretching, literally, <laughs> and figuratively out into different experiences. Not because, not because he's deemed his old experiences as bad or wrong, but he's tasted and recognized enough in life that embracing new things and seeking out intentionally, not waiting for life to happen to you, but looking to the places where you have a suspicion you might understand more about life, more about God, more about the type of self-sacrificial, loving life that Jesus lived, you go for those things. You seek them out. You don't wait for those to happen to you. You don't just sit around and say, well, I didn't really like the sermon this week and go home and live your same exact life ad infinitum. I don't think I use that term right. But I'm, I'm, I'm reading and I'm trying. You know, I think about, uh, I also think about uh, Mariah and Javier, Pena. They, they just like go for everything, man. Like, they've got these full-time jobs, crunching numbers and doing stuff like that, and then they're actors on the side, and then they, like, they help with the worship service, and they're in on our missions team, and they're, like, just, they just jump into the new experiences. And I'm, what I'm not trying to do is shame anybody of, like, it has to come through your volunteer and activity at this local church or anything like that, but what I am saying is experiences is what changes us. And so if you're dissatisfied, if you're dissatisfied with the amount of experience that you're having with the living God right now, maybe embracing diversity is part of what you need to do. Some of us have spent whole lifetimes in echo chambers of people who look just like you, sound just like you, have the same experiences as you, talking about the exact same idea of God. And I... I just don't believe God's that small. And neither does our church because we embrace diversity here at Christ City Church. And you might say, well, where's the faith in that, Jamin? This is a church talk about faith. It takes so much faith to have new experiences, to believe that God will meet you in something unfamiliar. And that maybe that it's even designed that way, that the world seems to be designed full of new and exciting things. That's the kind of faith that I'm excited about living in. I'm excited about the kind of faith that says, hey, uh, Adam and Eve, the whole thing, man, go explore. Do you. Like, go out, check, it, check everything out. Give names to stuff. 
experience things. Yeah, there's a little bit of stuff over here that you need to back off of because that's going to be harmful for you. But look out because all the rest of this stuff is good. It's very good, y'all. And for a lot of us, we've been told that conversion, religion means to narrow it, make it smaller, reduce people to things that are less than people of projects or people that are damned and people that are not damned. And I just don't see that here. I don't see that in the scriptures, in the teachings of Jesus. I want to share this with you. We're, we're running out of time, but I want to share this with you. I've, I've been looking, I'm, I'm, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know I'm really interested in psychology and science and those kind of things and how those things can accentuate our understanding of faith the visible and the invisible, working together. There's this woman, she wrote a book um, called Mind in Motion. And um, her name's Barbara Tversky. And the premise of the book is that it's actually our physical moving around in the world that allows us to think the things that we think. So the, the prominent idea in the Western world for several centuries has been, I think, therefore I am. And she's saying, actually, when we, when we really study it closely, it's I act in the world, and that gives me the ability to think about the things that I think about, which means you can only think as far as your experience in moving around in the world allows you to. Right? So... She's talking about, in this book, she's talking about this guy named George Stratton Berkeley, or George Stratton, who was a grad student at the time at Berkeley Psychology, uh, School of Psychology. And he makes these glasses. And these glasses are meant to disorient your perspective in the world significantly. So that when he was to put the glasses on and move around in the world, he became nauseous. And he had to sit down and he got dizzy. And he wanted to see what would happen if he kept these glasses on. If he would be able to reorient to the world. And what he found is that within a week's time, he was moving around in the world and operating just like he would have previous to that. So started out with the glasses, nauseous, can barely take a few steps, that type of thing. These prismatic glasses shifted his perspective. And he found it was very difficult at first, but after a week, he was moving around and nobody would have even known he had any kind of special glasses off. Here's the fascinating thing. Listen, pay attention to this. I'm going to show you this on the screen. Barbara, talking about this in her book, she says, the surprising finding is this. Seeing in the absence of acting doesn't change perception. So if somebody has those glasses on, if they're wheeled about in a chair and handed what they need, if they don't walk or reach for objects, they do not adapt to the prismatic lenses. Then when the lenses are removed, the behavior of passive sitters is normal. No fumbling, no dizziness. She talks about these laws of cognition, meaning how our mind and our brain work. And she says one of these laws, the second one, is that action molds perception, okay? So, 
hearing new ideas. Um, just, just enjoying information coming in. Or just sitting under preaching, listening to lots of podcasts and ideas and reading self-help books won't make you a new creation. You're fundamentally not designed to change in that way. You can be inspired. And what can you be inspired towards is action, is moving around differently in the world. So for, for the Hebrews, this idea of faith, it was tied up in action. It was not just some belief that you hold in your head that does not relate to the world that you move around in. But faith was synonymous with doing. If you had faith, then you acted. It was in the acting that your faith was shown to be faith. So yes, a conversion is a saying, is a saying yes. Is saying yes to an experience. Because even right now, there might be a person in whom God is working on your heart to say yes. I'm going to blast somebody else. Abijith, who, who greeted you when you came in this morning, he recently said yes to Christ. And the way he described it after we prayed was that new things opened up inside of his mind, that he felt a shift in his mind that his perception of the world had fundamentally changed. What's left to do is act. So, we started uh, this morning the verse, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And these questions, how do we become something new? How does the spiritual connect with the physical? So yes, there are times when we say yes on an intellectual, on a spiritual, on this almost invisible level to God. Beyond that, it's time to act, to embrace diversity, to act in faith, and watch those experiences get to make you into something new. So let's pray and go to the action of the communion table. Lord, thank you for this uh, morning. Thank you for the people in this room and um, how you're working in their lives and hearts and how you will continue to do so. I pray that you would meet us here, that you would, in our spirits, give us something to say yes to from you and then give us the courage and the faith to act. Amen. Amen.